turn your Bible to 1 John, also find a little place there in the Gospel of John. So if you'll find 1 John and the Gospel of John, we have a lot of you are telling me you're still joining by way of radio, and we are glad that you're listening in tonight to our study in 1 John. And I know these are dangerous and uncertain days, and we don't want anyone to come back to church until you feel like it's safe for you, but I'm actually going to propose that Sunday night is not a bad place to start. you got a little more space to spread out, smaller crowds, hallways less crowded, restrooms less crowded. It might be a, a good place for you to start with us on Sunday night when you feel safe to come back. Well, let's review just a little bit of what we did last week. We won't spend the whole time there. We certainly want to plow some new ground. But we mentioned last week that John's first letter really didn't sound like a letter much at all. It didn't have a sender, a recipient like Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to the church at. It didn't have sender, receiver. It didn't have a greeting, grace and peace to you. It doesn't have a thanksgiving, I thank my God upon all remembrance of you. It doesn't list a lot of names like Paul usually does when he's closing out a letter. In fact, it sounds a little bit more like a sermon than it does a letter, but we'll still call it the first epistle or letter of John. Also, we mentioned it is one of two letters in the New Testament that does not name or really give almost any hint at authorship. Uh, Hebrews even less so, but this one to a great extent does not tell us the writer of the letter. And so we're left to history and to the content and to other connections to other books to fill us in on the authorship. Last week we looked and we said that Origen, Tertullian, Arrhenus, all the church fathers from the uh, second and third century have one voice and one testimony, Irenaeus and others, saying that this was written by John the Apostle. In fact, there is no other theory out there pushed by any other church father. So the earliest people closest to the writing of the letter felt like it was written by John the Apostle, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James. The writer does want you to know, we looked at last week, that he is an eyewitness of Jesus. Remember how it begins? That which we have heard, what we have seen, what we have beheld, what we have touched. What he's saying is, I was there, I saw it, I heard it, I touched it, I know about Jesus, I was by his side. Now, if you say that this writer was an eyewitness up close to the ministry of Jesus, the touching up close, he says, I, I've touched this word, then it very much limits the possibility of authors that would be alive at the end of the first century to even write a letter like this. Also, the letter has that unmistakable air of authority. He calls the recipients his children. Well, if one's going to call and he acts like he expects to be obeyed, like he's their father in the faith, he has the authority of an apostle, and so it leads us to believe that it is John. Well, why did he write this letter? And this leads us to a little bit of new information tonight. There was a, we'll just call it Gnosticism. There's some other words I could use. We want to keep it as, as simple as we can. Gnosis is knowledge, and they felt that salvation came by knowing a certain mystery or formula of God. They would not have taught that Jesus had to be in the flesh 
and that he was crucified. And something about his crucifixion, his spilt blood was a propitiation or a payment for our sins. They would have said, no, 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 no. Flesh is not important. In fact, what I do with my body is not important. Most of them would say that when Jesus, the man, was baptized, the Spirit descended. And before he was crucified, the Spirit ascended. The Spirit, God, God was not involved in that crucifixion. That's, that's a bad thing. That's a fleshy thing. That rather, God is found in a certain knowledge or, or mystery. And so, John writes this letter first and foremost, to fight this notion that Jesus did not have to be God in the flesh. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 22. I would say this is the most telling verse in the whole letter or sermon that tells you exactly why he's, he's writing. Who is the liar? But the one who denies Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. You see, who is the liar? The one that denies that earthly Jesus was the heavenly Christ. In fact, that person's the, the Antichrist. The idea here is those deny that the fleshly Jesus was the Christos, the Christ, the anointed one, that's the kind of heresy that's taking place in this church. And he actually calls him the Antichrist. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. Well, the other thing we find, we saw last week, is the language of this letter is much like the language of gospel number four. We have things like word. In fact, it starts out just like the gospel of John. This in the beginning was the word. Remember John's gospel, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God? Well, look at the epistle, how it starts out so very similar. This idea of what was from the beginning we have heard, and what we have seen with our eyes, and we have beheld, and our hands handled concerning the what? The Logos, the Word of life. Key John words are Logos, Word, light is a John word, I see a lot of light in John. The word world is a John word. Um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Life is a John word. I am the resurrection and the life is a John word. So light and life and world, these, these words come together both in the gospel and in these short letters, especially the longest of the short letters the epistle of John, and so eternal life, love, commandment, new commandment, all of these are found in the gospel and also found in this letter, which lets you know that uh, they are one and the same in authorship. I just dare bet you that if I wrote a letter, and Robbie wrote a letter, and Dan wrote a letter, and we ask you to match up the letters with the author, I can guarantee you'd all get a hundred, because I can give you words that Robbie uses over, and I can give you words that I use over, and there's words that Dan uses over, and you would say, oh, yeah, that's, that's Robbie right there. Uh, Robbie would say something is special in his letter, and you would know, there it is, that's Robbie, something special. And I would say something is powerful in my letter, and you'd say, there it is, there it is. And uh, Dan would say something was, what would you say, Dan? <laughs> he said, go ahead. 
Oh, I don't know what you would say, Dan. It, 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 worshipful might be what you would say, that something is worshipful or meaningful. And so you would be able to pick out those things uh, from our... You can do this. You can tell Paul didn't write First John, that John wrote First John. It does not sound like Paul at all. Well, let's begin. Let's skip forward now. We find ourselves at verse 5. That's where we left off last time as we begin here. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. He just told them that the word has come in the beginning. I have heard it. The word. God revealed in various ways, says Hebrew, but in these last days it is his son. He's spoken through his son. We have the word. I've heard it. I've beheld it. I've looked at it. I've touched it. And then he goes on to tell us now and this is a message we have heard from him and we announce to you, God is light. This is a message we have heard and we announce to you, God is light. Well, I ask you to find the gospel of John. Turn over to John chapter 1. Here we go. The beginning of this epistle is sounding a lot like the beginning of the gospel. Look at the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4. Now, the writer of the epistle or the letter tells us, this is the message. This is what we heard. This is what the Word told us. God is light. Well, listen to the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life. Remember I told you life was a John word. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. God is light. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness is not comprehended. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. Now this is not our writer. This is John the baptizer. And he came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. There was a true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the what? Did I tell you it was a John world? He was in the cosmos. He was in the world, and the cosmos was made through him, and yet the cosmos did not know him. So here we have the word from the epistle saying, here's the key message, God is light. His gospel starts out by telling us that, in fact, Jesus himself was an incarnation of that light. Turn over to the gospel of John chapter 8. And I won't do this to you all night. John chapter 8, verse 12. But if I show it to you the first time, maybe you'll believe me the second time. John chapter 8, verse 12. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the what? Light of the world. Now, what did John just tell us in his letter? What did the word say? God is light. Who is God? Jesus. What does Jesus say? I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. There's two Johannine words right there together. 
Turn over to chapter five, chapter nine and verse five in the gospel. It should be just one page, or I wouldn't make you do it. One page. While I'm in the what? Cosmos. Another John word. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. In fact, now back to the epistle. In fact, in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells us that we are to, to be like he is, we are to be the light and let our what? Light shine before men. So the message here in verse 5 is God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Jesus was the incarnation of God. He is the divine light for men. John the baptizer came, sent from God, but he was not the light, but he made ready the way for the light. Now, the light, we're told in Psalm 104, that God is clothed with light, that God is so much like light that his garment is light. Isn't that a, a beautiful scene? And we're even told in the First Timothy chapter 6 that God dwells in unapproachable light. His light is so powerful that it's unapproachable approachable. Now, there's two notions that come with the word light. One is revelation. Light shines that we can see our path. So, to say God is light is to say God reveals. Now, that's important to us. We are believers that this is God's Word and God has revealed Himself to us in this Word. We believe that God has most of all revealed Himself in the person of Jesus, that His greatest revelation is His Son, the, the living Word. So, God reveals. So, light is something that reveals and allows us to see. You don't really appreciate light until you don't have it. Our, our homes aren't equipped really with candles in every room and ready. And so when the electricity goes off, you go to the restroom in the middle of the night and you flip the what? The light switch. You know it's off, but you flip it anyway. We are used to the light. It reveals. The second thing is holiness. It God is in this unapproachable light. The light shines and shows forth the holiness of God. Now, the enemies of John in this community are saying three things. They are saying, first of all, they have fellowship with God. Second of all, they're saying, we're not sinning right now. And third of all, they're saying, we haven't sinned in the past. That's some pretty bold claims. I'm not, I'm not prepared to make two of those. They say, we have fellowship with him, and we're not sinning right now, and we have not sinned in the past. Look how he responds to them. If we say, verse 6, 1 John 1, if we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness or sin. There's a lot to unpack just in, in these two verses here. You cannot say you have fellowship with God and not have fellowship with one another, verse 7. What I'm going to say is really, really bold, but I fully believe it. 
Persons who cut themselves off from fellowship with other Christians cannot have fellowship with God. Now, you may like it or not like it, but I'm just quoting the Apostle John. The reality is, if we're going to have fellowship with God as Father, then I must have fellowship with you as brother and sister. You following me? God never anywhere at any time calls a lone ranger Christian to be off by oneself doing one's own religion by nature following God is a communal activity. It is a called out activity whether it's the the sons of Israel called as the people the community of God or whether it's the church the new Israel we're always called in the midst of community so much so that he says We have fellowship. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And do not be so certain about your knowledge saving you. It is, notice what he says, the blood of Jesus. In fact, I would say we have sort of a return to Gnosticism today. How much preaching do you hear about the spilt blood of Jesus anymore? We had one of our songs we sang, it mentioned the blood of Jesus. You don't hear that a lot anymore, do you? Well, you preach through a book like this, and you got to talk about it because the apostle talked about it, you see? This idea that God was at work in the crucifixion of his son and the Old Testament sacrificial system was preparatory for the ultimate lamb of God to be sacrificed, and there was something powerful about the shed blood of Jesus that pays for our sins so that he can die, and we can die with him, and we don't have to die our own death because his death is our death, and his blood covers us. It's a very apostolic idea. But there were some then saying, no, 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 don't get caught up in that that blood and crucifixion stuff, and it's, it's not that. God wouldn't be involved in the flesh, you see. And there's some today who would say, do you really believe in a God who required his son to be sacrificed? And that story about Abraham and Isaac, and it seems so barbaric, and so they shy away from the cross and the blood and the crucifixion. You can shy away from it if you want to, but you're not following the apostles and what they taught. The blood of Jesus, his son, Not special knowledge, but the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And we must have fellowship one with another. Now, the idea of the word blood makes you immediately think of what? Crucifixion. So, when you read the word blood, think crucifixion. That's the emphasis is on the crucifixion itself. The blood is a buzzword for the crucifixion. The crucifixion of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Turn over in 1 John chapter 4, when we see here that he says that they have gone out from us. Look at 1 John, just one page over in your Bible, chapter 4. He's saying if you don't, if you're not in the fellowship, you're not in with God's fellowship. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out. These false prophets had left the church, left the fellowship, gone out into the world. And so he's saying, if you don't have fellowship in the community, if you've gone out from the community, then you have no fellowship with God. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, now, Why did he write that? He wrote that because the false teachers were saying they didn't have any sin. 
You might translate this way. Since you are saying you have no sin, you know, he's, John's nice and subtle, but that's what he's doing. Paul would just say, since you say you have no sin, but not John. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, truth is a very Johannine word, too. I am the way. What does Jesus say in the Gospel of John? I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's another word of John. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say in the past we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So, one can have fellowship with God if one has fellowship with God's people. One has sinned in the past and one might be sinning now. But in all cases, if we confess our sin and we are faithful in our confession, but not because of our confession, but because of the blood of Jesus, there's the power our, confessing, our confession calls forth the power that's already there in the spilt blood of Jesus. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sin. All have sinned. Now, they're saying they have no sin. Is that good New Testament theology? I, I, I don't think so. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we say we have no sin now, if we say we have no sin in the past, we are liars. For all have sinned, Paul tells us, and fall short of the glory of God. So what John is saying matches up with what, what Paul says. John and Bonnie Boyd, Judge Boyd used to sit right about right here on Sunday nights. And John had his own theory about human depravity and the fallen nature of our sinful world. John's theory was this, the judge's theory was this, all people are originally born left-handed until they sin, and then they become right-handed. The judge, of course, was left-handed. All have sinned. We're all right-handed when it comes to sin and falling short of the glory of God. It was a hard theory to disprove, but that, that's what he thought. John chapter 2. My little children. Now, there's a voice of authority. He's calling them his little children. I would call verses 1 through 6 here, chapter 2, obedience. He's calling for obedience. My little children. He's speaking with authority. And sometimes in this epistle, he will address older men and younger men. But when he says children, I think he means everybody. So children is universal for all the church members, of which he is the spiritual father. And then sometimes he'll address the younger men, and sometimes he'll address the older men. But my little children, he's a spiritual father. He writes lovingly. I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who uses the fleshly name and the spiritual name both, for the Gnostics would have only held on to the Christ and not the Jesus, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
I don't want you to sin. I'm trying to lead you away from sin in this letter. But when you do fall, you have an intercessor. In fact, he has paid. Look at the next verse too. He himself is the payment, the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. He's paid for our sins, but not just for our sins. He's paid for the sins of the whole cosmos. For God so the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have forever life. For God so loved the cosmos. There's the John word, the world. Sometimes it's a negative. It's the fallen world. And sometimes it's the fallen world that God loves and dies for. You see that? So we can carry a negative connotation. In Paul, it's almost always negative, but not so in John. In this instance, it is the world, the cosmos for which he died, like John 3.16. And by this, we know that we have, we, we, we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, look at that for what it's worth. By this we know we have come to know God, know Jesus, if we keep his commandments. I can't tell you how many times, well, I could tell you, and I could walk you through them all, and I'll make you walk a little bit, but the sign of a true believer is commandment keeping. Now, you can try to get me to say it a different way, and I'm not trying to preach a holiness perfection, but the reality is, if I read God's Word, the fruits show the tree. Well, Look, look over at chapter 3 and verse 24. Just go a little bit with me. We can know if we come to know him if we keep his commandments. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And we know that we are, and we know that this, by this he abides in us and the spirit whom he has given us. What is it, John, that shows we abide in Christ if we keep his commandments? Look over at chapter 5 and verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and we do what? Observe his commandments. Now, you don't have to turn to it unless you just have speedy fingers and want to. But if I go over to the other book of John, John, the gospel, John 14, 15, I read this. It, Jesus speaking, if you love me, then you'll what? You will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Or if you go on the next chapter over, John 15, I believe this one's going to be verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide with my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now back to 1 John chapter 2. And by this we know we've come to know him. What is the sign that we are his if we keep his commandments? Does that mean we're perfect? No. He's just told us when we fail to keep the commandments, we have an advocate, and he pays for our sins through the cross. But then a sign after we confess our sins is our fruit, that we are keepers of the commandments. Now, 
Nobody likes that kind of preaching, really. It, it doesn't sell well. If I wrote a book, the sure sign that you're a follower of Jesus, and it was about keeping the commandments, I could sell a book to my mother, and I'd buy one, and we'd be done. But if I wrote a book that said, let me tell you about the mysteries of God I've encoded that will let me know if you're a true follower. Pulled in a little Daniel, maybe a little Revelation. People line up. We could fill this place up, put it on the billboard, have seminars all weekend long. Because people don't want to keep commandments. You see that? It's looking for a new gnosis, a new knowledge. Is there a new teacher? Is there somebody uncoding something? Please, somebody give me something. Do not quote to me what the Apostle John says, that the true evidence is, this is how I'll know that if you love me, if you keep my word. We don't like that. And since we don't like God's plan, Plan A, we try to invent plan B, C, D, E, F. has been going on for 2,000 years. But John agrees with Paul. Paul says it's the fruit. Loving, kindness, gentle, forgiving. Are we these things? Against these things, there is no law. Here's the proof. A good southern expression, the proof is in the pudding. Last night, Tom said I used a South Carolina expression with which Texans were not familiar. I said something was a hair bit something. Do you know that word? Something just a, a hair bit. It means just a hair width. Well, another good southern expression is the proof is in the pudding, and the pudding is are we commandment keepers? The one who says, verse 4, I have come to know him, but does not keep his commandments, he's a liar. Truth's not in him. Am I saying you can be saved by keeping commandments? I never said that. Did John say that? Not once. He said you're saved by confessing your sins and letting Jesus pay for your sins with the blood of the cross. But once you've done that, though you'll fall some, a good sign is, are you abiding in the Father and the Father, His Spirit abiding in you? If so, we will know because you are daily seeking to keep the commandments. But whoever keeps His word, in Him is the love of God, has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in Him, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the manner as Jesus walked. So, it's not a perfect or, or secret knowledge. It's not something to encode or decode. It is the blood of Jesus on the cross. He was God in the flesh. The flesh, part of Jesus, is important. God was at act. Well, God was acting in his crucifixion and resurrection. What kind of resurrection? Just his spirit escaped? No, Gnostic. It is not just his spirit. It is a bodily resurrection. We saw this morning that what was missing? The tomb was empty. The body was missing. 
When I share the gospel of kids, I'll say, now what happened on the third day? They came and they found what? And they'll say, he arose. And then I will say every time, well, just his spirit escaped or his body too. And I want that first Baptist kid to say, his body too. It matters. We can't be Gnostics. He, he was God in the flesh. And the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and put up a tent among us. So you can feel to whom John is writing, to these false teachers who said that Jesus the fleshly Jesus wasn't God, that the Spirit of God descended upon him for a short while and then escaped before the crucifixion. And let me give you some special knowledge. Forget the commandments of God. In fact, if you think the flesh isn't important, then what you do with your body doesn't matter, right? And so we can give a whole list of sins, couldn't we? That it don't matter because what we do here on earth doesn't really matter. We don't have to keep commandments because the body's not important, because the body of Jesus was important, because it was his spirit or the special knowledge. You see how Gnosticism leads one into a one either one direction or the other, but in this case it led to a licentious life where they felt as if indeed they could do anything they wanted. Don't have to worry about the commandments because the flesh is weak and the flesh is not how we're saved. What a powerful letter. What an unlocking of John's theology. Let us pray. Well, God, this evening, we're reminded of the importance of the cross and the importance of commandments and the importance of obedience to the commandments. Even though we fall, we know we're covered by the blood of our Jesus, our advocate who pays the price, sets us free. Father, remind us tonight that if we're to have fellowship with you, we must have fellowship with your people. For if we call you Father, we must call each other brothers and sisters. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.